Hey, my name is Dwayne Pedroza, and I think I'm going to change my introduction of just a second because I'm actually standing up here with a lot of mixed emotions this evening. Kind of give you a, just a bring you up to date here. Um, September, October 09, my family and I are living in Texas. We are uh, at a church, uh, and the pastor there, I don't know if you know, familiar with him, but Matt Chandler. Uh, was talking from the stage about this little girl in Chandler, Arizona, that has a brain tumor. And that story stuck with my wife and I. And uh, in the midst of that, we were in uh, in the process of uh, moving here to Chandler, Arizona, because uh, Pastor Lynn had asked uh, me to come here to start an, another church here in the area. And so uh, actually... Uh, a year ago tonight, today, we were actually driving in to Chandler, Arizona and uh, to make our home here. And over this past year, as I've gotten to know the, the Cornerstone staff, Aaron and I have connected. And he was one of the first people we met the next day uh, as we moved into the house and made the connection that, oh, you're the dad of the daughter that they were talking about back in Texas. And so over this past year, uh, Aaron and I have actually gotten to be good friends and actually we are accountability partners. We meet once a week for about two, two and a half hours and talk about life and talk about what's, what's going on in our lives and, and, uh, been asking about how he's doing with Kate's situation and, and, um, praying with him. And then, so, uh, so here we are today and he calls, contacts me about three o'clock this afternoon. And I knew Kate's MRI was today. I, we texted each other back and forth this morning. And uh, he said, Dwayne, it's not good. And, uh, and I was like, gosh, you know, just, just heartbroken. And, um, and so um, he says, can you cover the mind tonight? I said, yes. I wish I was under different cir- circumstances, but, you know, I will do it. And um, one of the things I, I, I want to share with you before we get into the text here is that God is good. God is good. He, he is sovereign. His ways are higher than ours. He knows what's best. And sometimes it is hard for us as humans to understand what he is doing and the way he is working. But if you follow what has transpired over Kate's story, you see that people have come to know Christ. You see, people have come to find hope. And you see Holly and Aaron embrace God in a deep way and share their story publicly. That is a great teaching moment for a lot of people. That their trust and faith is in God, period. That doesn't mean it doesn't come with, with uh, mixed emotions, um, you know, anger or God, why? A lot of tears. That's part of it. But in the midst of that, we know that God is good. Yeah, we do pray that Kate will be healed. And we know she will be. The question is, it will it be here on, on earth? You know, and it, it is heartbreaking when she asks questions if Jesus is going to heal her. You know, and it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it hits the depths of our heart. Because you see a child that is going through an emotional struggle, a physical struggle, asking God, where are you? And so with that, we put our trust in God 
knowing that he holds all things together and he will carry out his plan. And we may not understand it. But what we do understand is that he's going to do what is best. And so we trust him. I, I, before we get into this, uh, I, I want to pray. Um, and also, uh, the, other, the other prayer request I, I want to mention to you is that you have Pastor Lynn and the staff. you got Brian and Rick and, and Lisa and a bunch of others that are in India. They're traveling back to the United States. They're supposed to fly into New York tomorrow. And we know the, the situation there is the weather is, is crazy. So uh, I'm just going to pray, and then uh, we will get into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Lord, we come to you this evening. You know, I don't know what everyone's been through today. I don't know where they are in life right now. But we're here. And so we call upon you, God. We've seen Aaron and Holly and Kate walk this journey for almost two years now, dear God. And so we continue to call out to you, to pray to you, ask you to heal her. And Lord, I just pray right now that your hand would just comfort the McCrae's. That they will cry out to you. And in the midst of that, Lord, you just love them. And in the midst of the questioning and the, the tears and the disbelief, that they grab hold of you and your truth, knowing you're right there with him. So God, we know that Kate is in your hands and we, not, we want nothing more than her to, to live a, just a, a fun-filled life for your glory. And so we just uh, ask dear God to, to comfort them. We pray, dear God, as um, the Cornerstone staff is traveling back from India, and there's been so many great stories they've already shared, that uh, (coughs) that, uh, you would give them a safe travel, dear God. With the weather in New York, I pray that they would just arrive safely, get back to Arizona safely, dear God, and uh, that they would uh, have minimal delays, dear God, and that we can just uh, come back and just hear how you use them in mighty ways. I just pray you just be with us tonight, dear God. Give us wisdom as we uh, study your word. Give us clarity and understanding that will penetrate our hearts, dear God, that would allow us to live a life that is more like Christ and pleasing unto you. So we give you this time. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, you're going to have to excuse me. I've had a cough here for a couple weeks now, and it's not fun. So... Um, Okay, so y'all been in 1 Corinthians, and I believe y'all finished up in chapter 6. Is that correct? Now I know who was here last week. Um, Let me just kind of uh, set the stage here a little bit, because we're going to jump into chapter 7, and there's some things I want to point out here. And again, feel free to, uh, I believe y'all ask questions along the way, feel free to do that, and I will do my best to answer those those questions. Um. The church of Corinth was anything but ideal. They were, they were a type of people here that instead of, and you saw this in the, in the first few chapters here, 
instead of sharing their possessions with each other, they would sue each other to get possessions. Okay? Rather than eating meals together, they would cut in line during communion so they could get drunk off the wine. And rather than communal, communal singing, they would have communal sex. Okay, so we can say that the church of Corinth was not really living a lifestyle that pleased God. And one of the, the key principles I want you to grab hold of here, just not tonight, but as you go through the, the study of, of 1 Corinthians, is that the knowledge of God... The knowledge of God should transform believers, both personally and in community, so that their character and their conduct are clearly different than those who do not have a relationship with Christ. And that, so that's the issue here, is that the church of Corinth has this knowledge. They're a church, but you wouldn't know it by the way they are living. And so here Corinth was a place that was um, a center for idol worship uh, of, of immorality. It, it's, you could put it this way, modern day terms, they were like the Las Vegas of today. People would, travelers would go there and people that were seeking entertainment for self-pleasure, that's where they would go. They would go to Corinth. So they would go to Vegas, basically. And so, uh, so what happens here is that Paul uh, is, is addressing them in a letter. And he's really more than just addressing them. He's actually rebuking them. And because there is a problem they have with disunity, with immorality. They have a lack of discipline. They have a problem with selfishness. And they're abusing the Lord's Supper. And that's just to name a few. Okay, so the main problem here, or one of the main problems here is that that the church is not influencing the community or the culture. It's the other way around. The culture is influencing the church. And so, so Paul has to address some very specific issues here. So turn to First Corinthians chapter 7, and I'm going to read uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now for the matters you wrote about... It is good for man not to marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Okay. It starts off here, and I'm, out of the, I'm using the NIV version here. It says, now for matters you have wrote about. Okay, I want to I kind of drill down on, on that phrase right there. The Corinthians had written a letter to Paul that were asking him some questions about some certain doctrines. But guess what? In that letter, they left out what they were doing. Okay? Chapter 6, sexual immorality. You know, chapter 5 was lawsuits. or, or The first part of chapter 6 was lawsuits. So they leave out a lot of information about their lifestyle and are asking Paul about some doctrinal questions. But you find in, I, I believe it's uh, chapter 1, verse 11, and chapter 16, around verse 17, that there were some men that came to Paul and told him what they were doing. 
Okay, what, the lifestyle that the Corinthians were, were, were the church of Corinth was was living. So, before Paul answers any of their questions, look what he does. Because it, verse chapter seven starts off with "Now for the matters you wrote about." He takes six chapters to address their sin. Before he even gets to their questions, he addresses their sin. And that just reminds me of how God deals with us. Many will play church. They know what it looks like. They'll come to church. They'll come to Bible studies. Uh, They will uh, serve in the church. They will uh, give money. They play the part. But there is an area or areas in their life that they are entangled in sin. And then they go to God. They ask God for, God, will you do this? Can you show me this? Can you help me here? Can you give me some direction with my job? All these things. And God deals with the sin first. And then people start questioning and wondering, why does God not answer me? Why is he making me wait? Does God love me? Why is he ignoring me? And if you look, um, even in the Old Testament, that in, uh, uh, in the book of Ezekiel, the Israelites, who are God's chosen people, are not living like it. They're living pretty similar to the church of Corinth. They're, they're worshiping idols. They, um, um, they're, they're living in immorality. And they go to God and ask him some things. Okay, I believe it's like Ezekiel chapter 7, but it's, there's a couple times, 7 and 17, somewhere in there. And they ask him for some, some specific things. And God tells them, I'm going to deal with your sin first. And so you take that and you see what Paul's doing here. He says, yes, yeah, I'll, I'll get to your questions, but we need to talk here because you are in disobedience. Remember, Paul, one of Paul's main themes when he writes to the church, different churches, Ephesus and Corinth, um, is, uh, is uh, about living a spiritual and holy life, living a, uh, being a living sacrifice. And, he, and he'll address, Paul is very, um, a guy that is very upfront, not afraid to tackle tough issues. You're out of bounds. You're out of line. I'm going to talk to you about that because I love you and I want you to be in line with Christ. And then when God comes to us and says, Dwayne, we need to talk. You've stepped over the line. Before, I'd be, honestly, I'd be mad, you know, because what does that mean? Afraid of consequences, all these things. But understand that the reason God wants to deal with our hearts, with our sin, is because he loves us. He wants us to live in obedience. And, um, and one of the best things 
God can do for us is address our sin. And honestly, that's one of the best things we can do for ourselves is examine our hearts and say, you know what? I need to get this out of my heart. And so that's basically what, what, uh, what Paul has been doing here leading up to chapter 7 because they're asking some questions, uh, some, some questions about marriage. And, uh, and, and, these, and these, uh, to them, it was a very important question about can a man marry or should a man marry? So the other thing I find interesting is that he, when he writes the letter to um, the Corinthians, he, before he addresses marriage, the topic he's addressing right before that is sexual immorality. And then he goes into marriage. And so, um, so it says, Now for the matters you've wrote, is it good for a man not to marry? In in other translations, I, it's interesting. If you look at like the ESV or the even the new NIV that came that, uh, that came out this year, uh, this is what it reads, and this is a, I would say a better translation. This is even in the King James version. It says, "Is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband." Okay. Is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? But since there is so much immorality, each man should have this, have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Paul, when Paul talks to him, what, what you have to realize, what Paul is doing here is any, any, anything that he is addressing with them, he's always bringing back to a biblical teaching, to the Christian lifestyle. And um, Paul is not saying that a man should not marry because that would contradict Scripture where it says it is, it's not good for a man to be unmarried. Genesis 2, 18. Other verses, Matthew chapter 19 tells us that God created marriage and made us for marriage. Hebrews thirteen four tells us marriage is honorable. And then you see in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that discouraging people to marry is demonic. Well, let me, let me translate that to our society today, is how many people are living together and are not married? The number just keeps going up and up and up. And they're, they're not... The, the, the discouraging tone is actually an encouraging ways of, why do you need to get married? Why don't you see if you're compatible? And there's all these enticing um, arguments for people to get, start living together, and that goes against God's word. And then Proverbs 18:22 tells us that men who find a wife find what is good. I'm sure all wives like that that uh, passage right there. But uh, Remember what Paul said back in back in in, uh, in chapter six, verse twelve, that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So, so here here here's here's the situation: is that is that it's like two adults saying, "Hey, we're two adults, we're consenting adults. You know, we we want to have sex. 
there's no, there's no children or there's no abuse or rape or anything bad going on. Just two adults. What's wrong with that? It's not against the law. We're good citizens. We're good people. We just want to have, quote unquote, some fun. And Paul is saying just because it is legal doesn't mean it is moral. Just because the government doesn't have a problem with it doesn't mean God doesn't have a problem with it. See, God's standards are higher. And if our benchmark is one of, I'm not breaking the law, then that's just the beginning of of, of really Christian ethics. That is by no means a, a high mark of spirituality, morality, and a life that, uh, that is committed to Jesus. See, in addition, the Corinthians were saying by the way they were living their lifestyle, hey, we're free to do what we want to do. Paul, and Paul is telling them, you're not free. You are not free because you're having sex outside of marriage and, and you're out of control. You're mastered and you're enslaved by it. You know, people that are addicted to pornography, they're not free. People who can't stop sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend are not free. Those who can't stop going from one bad relationship to another, they're not free. And you get stuck in this rut of sin and you, and you think you're flying under the radar and you think I'm free, I'm liberated, I get to have sex with whomever I want, whenever I want, I can do as I please. And Paul is saying, no, no, you're a slave. Those who are free have self-control. Those who are free live within the boundaries that God has set for us. And if people say, hey, it's just sex, you know, what's the big deal? What's the problem with that? The problem is that we belong to God. The problem is that you were made by God. The problem is that you will answer to God. And the problem is that even if the state doesn't have a problem with it, like sex before marriage, which is fornication, God does. And that's what you saw last week, and that's leading into to, uh, uh, to, to verse 1 and verse 2. So, so here Paul is acknowledging that, you know what? There is uh, sexual immorality going on. He also acknowledges, hey, there is a need for sexual intimacy. The answer is marriage. And he's saying here that, really, if you, if you look at some of his other, other, other uh, passages here, uh, or other, I'm sorry, other letters, is that in uh, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, when he says, uh, present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Uh, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so, uh, uh, so you will know his will. That's going back to what he's saying. He ties all these themes together in his books, I mean, in his letters. And, uh, and so he basically he's saying, how can you offer your body as a living sacrifice when you are living in sexual immorality, you're not having sex inside the confines of marriage that God has uh, uh, ordered, 
you're suing each other, you're getting drunk, all these things. But yet, you call yourself a church. So verse 2 says, But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Okay, that is not saying just go grab a wife or grab a husband so you can have sex. Okay, that's not, that's not what it's saying. Um, what he is saying, what Paul is telling us, and he's telling the Corinthian church, is that there is a proper way to have a sexual relationship with another person, and that is through the commitment of marriage. Having a husband or a wife does not end the sexual temptation or lust or unfaithfulness, and we'll get into that next week about those issues. But he's saying, hey, there are parameters here. There's a proper way for this. There's a way that, that, uh, God, uh, that God ordered this. And if you, if, you, if you look at what God does, or let me, just, let, me, let me phrase it this way. God is a God of order. Okay, you even look at, in Genesis at the creation. Okay, there was a certain order to the way he created the world. Okay, there was, uh, there's, there's, uh, he, he cre- since God created everything, he created business. When businesses run in a certain way, they do well. Um, you can even say uh, uh, there's a certain order to agriculture. Look at this. We could have, if, if you drive here in, in Chandler and see some of the, the farms, you see that things are in rows. If you go to um, uh, another state and see farming, every, all the crops are in rows. If you go to another country, all the crops are in rows because there's a certain order. There's a, and if those, that order is followed, it produces, it flourishes. Look at, look at government. Look at, you know, there's a certain order to government. God is a God of order. God created all that. And so he is saying here, hey, there is a certain order here for sex. And it comes after marriage. So verse 3. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. Okay. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. There are certain obligations in a marriage contract, so to speak. It's actually, actually, I should, I should even use the word contract. I should use the word covenant because that's what God has for marriage. And um, when you say yes to the person you are marrying, you are saying yes to fulfilling and meeting that person's need and walking alongside of them each day. And sex is only part of the covenant of the responsibility. And so since I'm a guy, I figured since scripture is saying the husband should fulfill the marital duty to his wife, I want to expound on that a little bit more. And, uh, (coughs) excuse me. So husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I look at it, I look at it in, in four categories. Okay, I look at it as a, he meets, fulfills his marriage duties by meeting her needs physically, by meeting her needs emotionally, 
by taking care of her financially and by investing her spiritually. Okay? So you can kind of think of it this way as that, husbands, you've been given, given the opportunity, the blessing of protecting your wife's heart. Okay? And let's just say there's four areas around her heart. And let's just call it the physical, the emotional, the financial, and the spiritual. And so when those things, we are hitting on those things, fulfilling our marital duties, what it does, it, it, it creates a safe place for your wife. And when one of those things or a few of those things are lacking, a wife, a woman's heart, they will feel vulnerable. And so what this means is that from a emotional standpoint is that, hey, guys, we need to make sure that we are taking time to communicate and talk to our wives, not just on a facts and, and, uh, and opinions level, but we are getting down to understanding her feelings and her emotions, listening to her and saying and, and having a conversation with her where she knows that you are listening to what she is saying. From a financial standpoint, you know, hey, it's just however you run your finances in your house, the wife just needs to know, hey, are we okay? Many of you or some of you are, um, uh, may have gone through some financial struggles. What does that do to the marriage? What does it do to the wife? It creates some instability. They want to know that they're okay. From a, from a spiritual standpoint, God is asking us to make sure that we are spending time praying with our wife, Reading, it says actually in Ephesians uh, uh, chapter uh, chapter five about reading the word, uh, washing by reading the word. And you know it's it's funny because in, in past experience I've had guys say, "Oh, Dwayne, I don't, man, I don't know if I can do that. You want me to actually pray in front of my wife? That's pretty intimate." And I go back to, man. You have sex with her, right? And they're like, yeah. And I said, well, that's pretty intimate too. And, 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 and they're like, they just kind of give me a, a deer in the headlight look. You know, I said, I said, I, I just tell them, hey, if you're not investing in her and her heart, she's going to feel vulnerable. And, <coughs> excuse me. And what she will do is she will pull away. Because she doesn't feel safe. And then you got the physical uh, part of it where, you know, uh, God created women just like created man that have sexual desires, sexual needs. And we're supposed to make sure we're meeting those, those physical needs. And that is just maybe just not sex. That's also maybe... Dwayne, will you go for a walk with me? You know? But when, guys, when we are hitting on those cylinders, and what I call it investing in our wife's heart, she'll feel safe. And then you start understanding the dynamic of 
a wife respecting her husband, trusting his leadership, because he has her best interest at heart. And one of the blessings and and benefits that come from that is she's going to want to meet your needs. I have yet to find a, a, a lady that argues that differently than me when I've, when I've taught that part. And I will tell you from a personal standpoint, there was several years ago, I missed it. I missed it. And I wondered why we were struggling in marriage a little bit, why we're not as close. And when the counselor pointed right at me, and said, Dwayne, dude, you're missing it. You're so stinking selfish that your wife is telling you how she wants to be loved. And it was like the light bulb went on and I had to get my act together. And then I understarted, started understanding what it means to fulfill my marital duties as a husband. Now, I'm not perfect. I still struggle and I still my wife at times but I, I can honestly say we're at a point now where she knows that I am and want to and have a desire to invest in her heart and I'll tell you guys if you get a hold of that it will change your marriage for the good it will take it to another level and I'm saying it from someone that's experienced it in the King James version uh, of this uh, of, of verse 3 it's um it says, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. And likewise, also the wife unto the husband. And I looked at that in different translations, and it, some use a little bit different words. But basically what Paul is telling us here in, in verse 3, that benevolence is an act of kindness. Okay, it's the desire to do good to others. Okay, so you think about that. If I am supposed to act out of benevolence, out of kindness to my wife, what does that foster? That fosters appreciation. It fosters a loving attitude. It fosters, you can even say, desire. But it also means on the flip side that you don't come to the marriage with a demanding spirit. And it's easy at times to allow selfishness to seep into our lives, into our hearts, and we start thinking, well, what has she done for me lately? How come she's not doing this? And, and she owes this to me, and, and we better have sex tonight and have all these, this attitude of she owes me, she owes me, she owes me, and she better, she better, she better. And we have a demanding spirit. And you know what, guys? We may not have to say it with our words, but we can, we'll say it with our actions and our body language that, you know what? You come over here and meet my needs because it's about me. And Paul's saying, it's an act of benevolence. It's an act of kindness. It's putting our spouse above us. Here's the other thing that... When I have seen and talked to guys that um, have a demanding spirit and they come and talk and they are complaining 
And it's a tone of, this is what she's not doing for me. It's always about what the wife is not doing for him. Okay? And then you, from, from just a listening standpoint, you see pride and selfishness just covering this person, this guy. But in our, in, in our, in, in our conversations with each other, I'll ask the question about what does she owe you? You know, and they fumble on their words. And, and then I go to, to their heart and ask them and from, a, from a spiritual standpoint about, is God asking you to do something that you're not doing? Or are you caught in some sin? And he, when was it? About two, three weeks ago when Lynn was up here, he used that big umbrella. Remember the big umbrella? You know, we're not living under the, the, God's authority. I said, if you're not being submissive to God, to the Lord, your wife knows it. So why, why do you expect her to be submissive to you when you are not, and I go back to investing in her heart, fulfilling your marital duties as a husband? See, Understand, Paul is driving home the point to um, the Corinthian church, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Rome about obedience and living under God's authority, living a life that is that is holy. You know, and he's not asking us, and God's not asking us to be perfect. It's just a heart of obedience and a heart to live within the boundaries. And man, this church here was missing it. And Paul had to get onto them. And it's so easy for us to um, find ourselves on the other side of the boundary line, you know, because we are not connected here with God. We play church. And... And what Paul is saying uh, here, he says, he says, now that I've addressed this, let me answer your questions. And so, I'm going to stop right there, um, and I will, I'm going to be here next week. And so, I'll pick up in in uh, in verse three uh, B because I know the guys want to know the other part of that, and I purposely stopped there. And so, do y'all have any questions? So in verse 1, was Paul being sarcastic when he said it was good for, what did he say, it was good for a man not to marry? No, the, the other thought to that is that um, um, the, the other thought to that is that um, people were concerned that they thought the Lord was coming back. And so they had this idea that they could not marry. And, uh, and, and that's, that's part of it. And, uh, but Paul is, uh, um, the, the, the other part to it too is also is that, is that, um, I don't think he's being sarcastic to answer your question, but the other part to that is that he's saying it's better not to marry. So nothing gets in the way with your walk with God. But since you're so sexually immoral and can't control your desires, you need to marry. Okay?
Anyone else? I know this is a simple question, but what would you say that biblical submission looks like? Not like, you know, you know, oh, you know, you, I give my life to Christ, that's it. But cause you, it sounds like it keeps coming up submitting, submitting, submitting. And biblically, what does that look like, would you say? So, okay, let me, let me follow up, Terrence. Um, biblical submission in the, in the aspect of what? Us with God? Us with God? Uh, I think it goes back to us living under his authority. Um, uh, if we have one item um, that is one part of our life, um, okay, we can say, we can say, um, God, I give you my family, I give you uh, uh, myself, I give you uh, uh, my career, but not my money. That's not total biblical submission. Okay? Um, we're saying everything in our lives is under his authority. And what he asks us to do, we do it. It's, it's, it's obedience. It's also serving others. Okay? Um, so we... Uh, uh, living on his third, uh, obedience and, and serving others. And, uh, and I think also through that, uh, a, a big part of... Um, knowing you're under his authority and allowing him to penetrate to, to work in you is, uh, is that your heart, you, there will be, uh, more humility in your life because you're looking to others. Okay. That answer your question. Okay. I had a question. Um, since their sexual immorality was more of an issue of self-control and self-control is part of the, is the fruit of the spirit. Would their, the root of their problem be not having the Holy Spirit and not being filled with the Holy Spirit rather than... Okay, now, uh, if you go back to chapter 6, the last part of chapter 6 talks about um, the Holy Spirit. In fact, let me, let me get my Bible real quick. Okay, verse 19. Yeah, um, do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. Okay, so Paul has been already been addressing this, that, hey, when you accept Christ, and we know in Scripture, you have the Holy Spirit in you. But they are not, they're basically just ignoring that. They're not, uh, they're living a life where they think they own their own bodies. And so you can say, yeah, they're not, they are not grabbing hold of the power of the Holy Spirit. So, um, so your question back to um, the fruit of the spirit, I think that that's that is lacking because they're they they have ignored the Holy Spirit. That makes sense. Okay, I got to admit I don't know if I like all the eyes looking at me, and I'm up here like, okay, who's going to ask a question next? Anything else? You got another question here? Okay. I'm sorry. It may just be that I missed it, but it still seems like him saying. It's good for man not to marry, even if it's to increase his ability to focus on God and to follow him. It still seems like that's contradictory to the verses that praised and encouraged marriage. Okay, let me go back to what some of the other translations said. uh, Is that it's saying um, that it's not good to have sexual relations. That's what what the, the true text says. Why the NIV... In the NIV translates translates it that way. I'm not too sure because if you see the the the, the NIV translation of 2010 that's been updated and 
corrected some errors, it, it, it gives that phrase that uh, a man should not have sexual relations with a woman. Okay, so honestly, I'm not too sure why in the NIV it says that, because if you look in the King James or in the uh, ESV and some of the other translations, it, 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 it uh, matches up to the new NIV translation. But he, he, he's saying that um, um, uh, someone else asked a, asked a question about, about uh, some people believe that, hey, he's saying don't marry. I'd rather you not marry so you can have connection with God. But since you're not, since you're living in sin, you need to correct this. And, you know, because they were not controlling their, their uh, sexual appetite. So, but it goes back to the translation, what the, the original uh, Greek says there. Uh, okay, sorry. Um, I, I agree, because if not, then God wouldn't have, I mean, God made um, a marriage or a union with Adam and Eve, you know, so therefore, you know, I, I, it's not that God condones or or Paul is saying, don't, you know, don't have a wife, or a man's not supposed to marry. It's just that it's when a man marries or a couple comes together, serving God, they both become one and serving God, but also they take on, a man takes on a big responsibility, mm-hmm. you know, um, a wife and a marriage, just in a marriage in itself. So I think we're, we're confusing the two, the sexual relations with the marriage. There's, there's two different things that that the Bible is talking about and what Paul's trying to address is the sexualness. Right. You know, what it, what it takes, the, where it takes the mind, basically. It, it, exactly. And uh, because we know marriage is of God and he wants us to be married, but, but they're, they're, they're out of bounds. They're out of bounds. And yeah, that's, that's, so that's why I see it's, it's interesting how Paul outlines his letter that he's talking about um, that they think they can do what they want and they're, their big sin right here is sexual immorality, but they're asking about marriage. Well, you know what? You need to get this in line. So, anyone else? Speak now, forever hold your peace. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. I thank you for this time this evening, dear God, just to, uh, to just study your word. And uh, knowing, God, that you love us uh, so much that you will address our sins and that, uh, that you desire obedience from us. So I pray, dear God, where, for everyone in this room, that um, and if, they, if they just find themselves struggling in an area, dear God, I just, I just pray, dear God, that they will just humble themselves before you and just have that conversation with you where uh, they just make it right. And through that, dear God, they experience more of your love, more of who you are, and uh, a closer walk with you, dear God. And um, I'm just reminding God, it's okay to be broken. It's okay to be broken, dear God, because that means you're going to fill in uh, the gaps with, with, with your goodness and, and your love. So uh, just be with us, dear God, and just, uh, um, just give us clarity. And as we process this passage and uh, continue in Corinthians, dear God, just, just allow it to play on our mind, dear God, and just meditate on it. So... It can take deep root in our hearts. And so uh, we know uh, uh, what you're asking of us. Thank you for everyone, dear God. Just love them. And uh, we just give everything uh, to you. Precious name we pray. Amen. Love, good evening.